Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I am merely Andy Barons. He is the legend, the Hall of Famer, Scott Pianowski. And we're here to have a meandering conversation about the NFL that is loosely tethered to fantasy, I suppose. Uh, The regular season ended with a thriller, an absolute thriller between the Chargers and Raiders. Didn't have to be a thriller. Uh, they, They could have, of course, played for the tie. They didn't. It was fun. Uh, Scott, it's all over. It was a wild week. Uh, what are your thoughts? I don't know. What's, what's foremost in your mind right now? I mean, the Sunday night game is going to stay in everybody's mind for a long time for, I mean, look, just a referendum on, you know, fourth downs and timeouts and, and game strategy and prisoner's dilemma. And um, I'm just <laughs> glad both teams played the win. This, this idea that, yes, oh, yeah. we could get together and just you know, kneel it. That, that's not what you're supposed to have a competition that that goes against everything that, sports are supposed to stand for, you know, and I also like, I wonder if the Raiders late in the overtime, they could have just run conservatively or even kneeled down, taken their playoff spot. And I wonder if the Raiders mindful of a tie, getting them to another Kansas city game, Kansas city's taken the Raiders at the woodshed twice. Maybe they thought, okay, we can preserve the integrity of the game and maybe get a, a more beatable opponent in the playoffs uh, send people home happy, you know, a wink and a nod to John Madden. His his widow um, was involved in this game beforehand. I mean, I, this game didn't bring John Madden back to life, you know, I, just craziness. But, you know, Brandon Staley going for it fourth down his own territory is a lot of different thoughts on that. Um, Justin Herbert looking, uh, you know, I don't know, like John Elway, you know, just zinging in these fourth yeah. down passes. And there there is some some questionable flags, of course. I, it was just, it, it was a great football game because it was, and the the Raiders, it's funny, they fit this this script so well because they played four overtime games this year. They won all four of them. I, I gotta check if that's the NFL record. I can't imagine anybody winning four overtime games in a season, although they took 17 weeks. Three of them we all shared together because they were they were standalone games. They won that overtime game against Baltimore to begin the season. Uh they beat Miami in overtime, a game nobody really remembers. And then they beat the Cowboys. The, I'm one of the, at the Sean Hockley game where Hockley called like eight, eight, 190 penalties or whatever, <laughs> but that was an overtime game on Thanksgiving. And then they beat the chargers, you know, and the chargers famous for losing in strange and bizarre ways to just get, get out that ledger. But it was a game that we all, there's nothing else going on Sunday night. That was the game you were watching. I, I guess you noticed, you know, Clay Thompson made his comeback for the warriors and that's a fun story, but 
Um, sports are fun. We got this tonight with you know with Georgia and Alabama. We'll all watch that together. It's just fun when these things get experienced in real time and there's differences of opinion on what the right strategy was. We marvel at some outstanding achievements. There's some strange plays. I mean, that all kind of, I think, sums up why we love the NFL experience. So even though I had the Chargers as a pick, I would have rather seen Justin Herbert in the playoffs. I found that game to be very satisfying because it was very strange. Super satisfying game. Um, we were talking about this a little bit before the pod. Another another really fun chapter in a rivalry that used to mean a ton when you and I were kids, right? Like, I don't know, go back to like 79, 80, 81. This was as good a rivalry as, as you had. It's gotten a little stale. Haven't perhaps been a ton of meaningful games between these teams too recently. Really fun to see. It was obviously they were never just going to slam it into the line, you know, 50 times each and take knees and, and get a tie out of it. It was really fun. It was a great game. It was a it was a nice note for the regular season to end on for sure. And also, even though part of me still wants the Raiders to be in Oakland, and I certainly want the Chargers <laughs> to be in San Diego, I, I said I, I said set down my NFL czar rules if I was czar of the NFL a few days ago on Twitter. And I said, you know, they're, even if these don't make sense, I'm the czar. They're going to make sense. We should go back to 16 weeks, put in the second bye week, it put one of the buys around Thursday night football so the, the players and the teams actually have time to prepare for that game and recover from games. But it feels like the NFL should be in Vegas. I, I, I wish maybe a different team was in Vegas, not the Raiders, although they always they were close enough to there are, there's always been a Ve- uh, Raiders fan base in Vegas to some degree. And you know, the stadium is great. I also love, I think every stadium should be grass. I love that Allegiant Stadium has a roof, but they have the real sod in there. So, you know, Derek Carr gets sacked or whatever. He's got the grass hanging out from his helmet. Another thing that John yeah. Madden would have loved. So, it, you know, the NFL season ended in Vegas with a bizarre game that everybody will remember. And, um, yeah, even though I want the Chargers back in San Diego, I actually feel pretty good about the Raiders being in Vegas. It seems to fit right now. Yeah, no, I can't wait to see the stadium. It's a wonderful place for the NFL to have a home, so I've got no argument with that. This, of course, uh, would normally be the Monday Pickups podcast. We're recording it on a Monday afternoon, but there are no remaining games uh, that require any ads or drops. So instead, Scott and I are going to try to recap this season, give out a handful of unofficial awards, including, of course, the third annual Nikhil Harry Award. Everybody excited about that. Uh, And we're going to try to spin things forward as best we can on this pod. We are uh, recording not just on any Monday, but on Black Monday, the traditional day for the very least successful NFL coaches uh, who are not Joe Judge to be asked to uh, box up their belongings and leave the building. I want to try to run through the firings that have the firings and retirements that have already happened. Uh, Dave Gettleman was announced to have retired uh, by the Giants. That's how I hope I go out at Yahoo. I hope they just announce my retirement someday. Uh, Denver got things going a little bit early. It fired Vic Fangio over the weekend. Um, Matt Nagy, no surprise, gone in Chicago as his general manager, Ryan Pace. Mike Zimmer gone in Minnesota as is his GM. Uh, So both of those things, uh, not really surprising. Uh, the, Aaron Rodgers has has so torched the division that uh, none of the opposing coaches can even hold their jobs. Uh, the the one really surprising thing I, I think, and I, almost everybody would agree on this, uh, unless you're some kind of Miami insider that saw it coming. Brian Flores out with the Dolphins, which is just shocking to me. And he would seem to be like I was going to ask you who the one head coaching candidate was that you really want to see get a shot somewhere. But like, I feel like Brian Flores is now the hottest coaching candidate out there. I can't imagine 
any of these other teams that we've mentioned not being interested in Flores, I am immediately interested in him as the best option for the Bears. Um, I'm I'm just shocked that it happened, and I can't really wrap my head around it. Yeah, he'd be a great. I would put him at the top of the Chicago list. I think Jacksonville should certainly kick the tires on him. If I were Flores, I think Chicago could be a great fit. If if you win in that city, I mean, they'll make they'll build a statue of you. You know. Um, yeah, I was talking you, on Twitter like about one time win one time in however many or whatever the Mike Ditka track record was win one time. They'll build I was statues. De- I was debating with people on Twitter which fan bases were the most tortured. And, and some people try to throw the bears out there. And we look 1985 has such a deep afterglow, even if you weren't alive for it or a football fan, then it's just I can never feel sorry for the bears because they had this one season where they may have been the, the best football team of all time. And, and they, you know, they have this dance that we still do, the song that we still sing, um, you know, unbelievably great players where you, you think about Cleveland, right? I mean, even though the, f- the fans poured all their yeah. love and affection to the team, they lost the franchise because their owner was, you know, was in debt and, and was kind of a jerk. And the Lions, it, the, the thing we think about with the Lions, other than not having a playoff win since 1991, is their two best superstars at age 30 just said, okay, we're all done. We're just going to go <laughs> do anything but play football for this lousy team anymore. Those are the real people who have suffered. The Bears haven't suffered. But that said, Chicago's been in a holding pattern for a long time. And Flores, the thing with Flores is that he's just such a solid presence. The fact that he kept this team stable and got them to rebound and even get into a whiff of playoff contention before they lost two weeks ago, swept Bill Belichick, which is always a feather in his cap. Miami always plays New England tough. Uh, they, They beat Belichick with Ryan Fitzpatrick, I got the last Brady regular season game, which knocked them into the out of the bye. And, and then they lost the following week to Tennessee, New England did. He's a stable, solidifying person. If you hire Flores to a five-year contract, I think the odds are very good that you'll want him for all five years. It won't be one of these, like the, the Giants right now, they have Joe Judge, they're a clown car. They score like seven points a week. They give up on second and third down in their own territory. Don't even try to get a first down. I've never seen that at the NFL level. And a game didn't mean anything. You know, why not? <laughs> I, I was going to say, that's because you don't watch a lot of Iowa football, sir. If you did, you'd see it every week. What's the worst that's going to happen? You, you, you're going to, you know, the whole friendliest loss thing. Oh, no, we don't want to make a mistake here. Let's just make sure we punt on, why punt on second down if that's what you're going to do. That's just a joke. <laughs> but the, the Giants are going to apparently stick with Joe Judge. Never do what your opponent wants you to do, right? Uh, I yeah. think Flores to Chicago would be fantastic, but he, he'll have his pick of jobs. Who knows? Maybe he'll want to chill for a year. You know, he could do some announcing, some some consulting, whatever. But I think Flores to Chicago would be a great move. And, um, you know, maybe uh, maybe Flores and Fields will be be linked as, you know, maybe they can be the new Brady and Belichick. I mean, who knows? Maybe 10 years from now we'll be thinking. Remember when Miami somehow booted out Brian Flores? And what this says, you know, we're not – in the Miami area. We're not in the locker room. We're not in the boardroom. Somebody didn't get along with somebody. It's probably the GM in Flores, but you know, yeah. and I'm sure there's a lot of finger pointing as everybody tries to make it clear. I, I'm not the guy who wanted Tua. I wanted Justin Herbert. There's been different debates about did Deshaun Watson want to come there? Was that tied to Flores being interested in Watson, which, which sounds like a good thing to me, at least on the field. I know there are things off the field with Watson that you, we don't really know about, but they let a good man go. And you know, you made a mistake in the case of Brian Flores, by how quickly he gets interviewed and or hired by somebody else. And, and now sometimes that happens just because you're in a place too long and the, t- the team just needs a different voice. Um, you know, you can be a successful coach and it just comes to a point that you can't be the coach there forever and you both want to do something different. This isn't the case here. Miami screwed up. Somebody didn't get along with somebody. 
I, if I were Miami, I would have signed Brian Flores to an extension. I, I wouldn't have kicked right. him out the door. Right. I don't. So something that we're, we're going to find out more about the story in the meantime. Good luck, Chicago. Uh, uh, you should be, you know, texting or, or calling Brian Flores' representation as we speak. Yeah, you can. I mean, it's a shocking firing because you can build a I don't know if it's the strongest, but you can build a coach of the year case for him. Um, This is this is 19 wins over two years. It it seems pretty clear that his players like him. Um, I'm just you're you're right. It reeks of power struggle somewhere up or down the chain. Um, it, it, It just shocked me. It's the only one of these moves that really shocks me. Uh, I've been obviously as a distracted Bears fan, I've been reading a whole bunch of head coach candidate names uh, so far this morning. Uh, where, where do you stand on the on the hypothetical issue of Jim Harbaugh being available? Are you in? Are you out? Do you want to see this chapter in the NFL uh, again? Well, well, Stephen Ross, the Miami owner who has ties to the Michigan program, I think there's a building that bears his name. He, he said he's already come out and said, look, I'm not going to be the guy who takes Jim Harbaugh off the Michigan campus or words to that effect. I don't think Harbaugh's going anywhere. It would be fun to see Harbaugh in a new place because he's just such a, you know, I, I can't say the phrase I want to call him, but you know, he's, he's a son of a gun. You know, he would, he would be good <laughs> for copy. He would make things interesting. Harbaugh Belichick games would be fun, but I think he's staying in Michigan. So I, I think that's a non-starter. I want to say one other thing too, you know, Mike Zimmer, I think Mike Zimmer has a great chance to maybe be a Wade Phillips type where maybe yeah. head coaching wasn't his thing, but then he goes back and is a, unbelievable defensive coordinator for somebody. Uh, he wasn't great with the media. He's getting kind of testy with the Minnesota media at the end. And that's part of the job, right? You're the face of the franchise. You're the CEO. And Zimmer didn't handle that right. I'm not saying you win or lose games in the media room, but that's part of what you do. And Zimmer didn't handle it all that well. You, no, but you can pull off that attitude if you have Bill Belichick's level of success and and you can't pull it off if you're almost anyone else. Right. Well, it's always been the, the fault of some of the Belichick coaching tree. Flores didn't have this problem. Yes. But Patricia. Matt, Pat- Patricia, Joe Judge, they're like, okay, well, I'm from the Belichick coaching tree, so I get to be all obnoxious, like I have the gravitas of <laughs> Belichick already. No, you, know, you don't, and you don't get to be that way. You know, um, for, for whatever Belichick does in the press room when he's not in a good mood, he's at least earned a lot of that. These guys, you know, Charlie Weiss was like that to some degree too, I think. Yes. So, yep. yeah, Flores should have been the, the win of the Belichick coaching tree, and I still think he will be. But Mike Zimmer, he gets my Wade Phillips award. He is, I love hiring offensive or defensive coordinators who were previously head coaches. Look how Dan Quinn has rehabilitated his image as the defensive coordinator of the Cowboys. Uh, I think somebody would make a great hire if they can get Mike Zimmer to run their defense next year. I'm not sure if he'll be a head coach again. Uh, he had ups and downs in Minnesota. Minnesota's another tortured fan base. They've lost games in bizarre ways. They've lost four Super Bowls, although most of them in, in the you know far past. Uh, they had the 1998 team that was unbelievable. I still weep for that Broncos Vikings Super Bowl that I think most of us wanted. Yeah, but Gary Anderson, yeah. who had missed a kick all season, missed the one kick in the NFC Championship game. But um, I think Mike Zimmer's a great person to hire to run your defense. So I'm curious to see where he lands next. Yeah, no, I agree. I also think he would be one of those head coaching hires that that just turns off a fan base, right? Um, fairly or unfairly, uh, I, I don't think he's going to get a lot of looks uh, as a as a head coach again anytime soon. But you're surely right. I mean, he was a hugely successful defensive coordinator, and I see no reason why he can't be again. You mentioned awards, so let's let's talk through a few um, made up awards. And perhaps a couple of real awards that the uh, that the NFL and uh, uh, the AP and other organizations actually give out. I actually want to start with the legit NFL MVP debate, which it seems like it's coalesced around two players, obviously, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. 
I tweeted a couple things about the NFL MVP race last week that got more reaction than I had even intended, right? I feel like it's kind of a broken award. I don't know if you're totally with me on this, but I feel like it's, and when I say that it's a broken award, what I mean is it's it's now at a place where you're literally only eligible if you're a quarterback. And I understand why. Like, I get it. People get hung up on the on the value side of most valuable player, right? And there's no question that the, the quarterback position is the most valuable in team sports, certainly in the NFL. I get it. I get it. Why I, I completely understand why people want to focus on, on quarterbacks when they hand this thing out. We just happen to have a year on our hands when there's like, I, I would argue a group of quarterbacks who are basically in one tier. Um, we, have, we have Tom Brady, who has all the raw numbers this season. We have Aaron Rodgers and Joe Burrow, who are basically splitting the rate stats this season. All of them great. All of them, you know, I can, I can form arguments for all of these guys. I think I could probably formulate a pretty good one for Josh Allen, too, for separate reasons. But I don't, I don't know that he's quite now on the same – I don't know that he's quite at the same plateau that, that Rodgers and Brady are. Um, but I think – I feel like we have a group. And we probably have a collection of like five or six quarterbacks who I could reasonably argue could just, you know, we, we could have a little wheel play where they all um, take over one another's teams and they all finish with roughly the same records, right? Like we have a group of similarly talented quarterbacks at the top of the league. Meanwhile, we have a running back and a wide receiver who just shattered uh, the expectations for their position and and did things that nobody else did at those spots, right? Jonathan Taylor was outstanding. Cooper Cup was outstanding. There was no one else like them at those positions. And I feel like the original intent of MVP, I know I'm, this is a bit of a monologue. I'm sorry about that. But I feel like the original intent of MVP was to recognize the most outstanding player in a given season and not necessarily to get super hung up on the word valuable. Um but there's almost no shot, I think, for Cooper Cup or Jonathan Taylor to really enter this discussion, except in a contrarian sort of way. It's clearly going to go to either Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. So that is a very long-winded way of my asking you, who, who would you vote for if you had a vote? Um, and, and who do you think will actually win? And like, am I totally off base on the, on the notion that the award itself is a little bit broken? We agree on, on pretty much everything you said. One of my NFL czar tweets was I would change two things about the MVP award. One, I would change it to most outstanding player or player of the year and take out the word valuable. And I would encourage the voters to not turn this into a personal. What's your personal definition of value or valuable? I, I hate that that comes into it. Yeah, because we know we, we get it right when the starting quarterbacks out the point spread shifts when the starting running back is out or starting receiver, lineman, linebacker, whatever, the, the spread generally doesn't move at all. And if it's a very important player, it might move by a little bit. It's not the same as a quarterback movement. We understand that. Make it player of the year, make it most outstanding player, whatever it is. And think about whose fingerprints are on the season. Who did the season belong to? If it got, we talk about who's going to be the first, um, the all pro quarterback, right? It could be Rogers. It could be Brady. If some voter, if some prominent voter said, you know, I voted for Joe Burrow and here's why, or I voted for Josh Allen and here's why, that would be plausible, reasonable. Some people might not agree, but it's not like it would be a travesty. If Cooper Cup isn't on the all-pro team at receiver, people would pick it and riot. And then the same thing with Jonathan <laughs> yes. Taylor. Yeah. Cooper, ha- Cooper Cup just had the most consistent, consistently dominant receiver season I've ever seen. The only person you can compare him to at this point you know, is like the best Moss season or maybe a, Rand, you know, a Randy Moss season, like an 87 Randy Moss who should have been the MVP. John Elway, one of my all-time favorites, won it. But 
Uh, I think Rice had 22 touchdowns in 12 games, I want to say. I mean, Rice should have been the 87 MVP. He could have been the 95 MVP. Randy Moss could have been the 2007 MVP. There's nothing wrong with yep. Brady. There's, but they, you know, they, it's become a quarterback award. I would switch my NFL czar rule would be let's switch it to most outstanding. And I would vote for Cooper Cup. And I think in, in a sense, the offensive player of the year has become who's who's had the best offensive season, not a quarterback. So I, I guess they kind of have their side award. Nobody's ever come out and said that, but that's kind of what it is. Like, okay, great running back, great receiver. We can't give you MVP, but we got this other award. You can win that. Just switch it to most outstanding. And then Cooper Cup can be the MVP. He should be the MVP. He'd be my pick. With the Colts not making the playoffs, and I know that's not Taylor's fault. Hard to believe Jonathan Taylor didn't have 21 carries in a game, I think, till week seven or week nine or something like that. Frank Reich has some explaining to do on that. But <laughs> I would pick Cup. Yeah, I think Rodgers is going to win. I think Brady probably his his odds probably cratered when they got shut out in the Sunday night game against the Saints. For some reason, some teams just don't match up well against other teams. The Buccaneers have struggled with the Saints ever since Brady got there. They beat them in the playoffs with Brady playing rather poorly, and then they they've had four straight regular season losses. And they're they're thrilled they don't have to play him in the playoffs. But I think Rodgers is going to win, and you know he's been a polarizing guy for different reasons. But when I think about who was great this year and whose fingerprints of greatness are all over the season, I agree with you. I think the quarterbacks all run together. There's four quarterbacks who had very good seasons, but I think Josh Allen has a better season than him. I think Joe Burrow could have a better season than him. It's not the best Brady or Rodgers season. Not that that is why you're MVP because you had your career season, but I think the quarterbacks run together. Cooper Cup had a season that he's never won. We're not far from this having been the best Brady season, right? 5,300 passing. And I know extra game, all that. 5,300 passing yards, though, 43 passing touchdowns. That's, I mean, that's a hell of a year. You know, if the Saints game wasn't played, I think Brady would win. I think Rodgers is going to win. And, and Rodgers, of course, had a horrible Saints game on his resume, too. Green Bay yep. played terribly in that first week. And since then, I think he has two interceptions and eight million touchdown passes, several against NFC North competition. Man, they can't, uh, you know, you, you guys would love Aaron Rodgers to be anywhere, but but in the NFC North next year. I think Rodgers will win. I'd be fine with a Brady pick. Cooper Cup should win, and he won't. Yeah, that is almost exactly uh the way i the way i feel about it i would like if you made me pick a quarterback it would probably be brady by a hair um in part because i think the actual like the fact of missing a game in something like the mvp race um matters a little bit right i'm making no judgment about the reason that aaron Rodgers missed his game but um you, you miss time and it matters uh, Brady didn't do that uh, again, ends the season with more passing yards and more passing scores than any other quarterback, um, certainly faced enough adversity at the end of the year. I, you, you know, another thing I don't like about the award is that it's become, and maybe it was just the nature of this season because we didn't have a clear leader after like 12 weeks, but it's, I don't like it when it becomes purely an end of season award because almost everybody who was trying to have arguments with me about um, which quarterback it definitely should have been was presenting like the final six weeks for Aaron Rodgers. And it's a, like it's a full season award. So uh, like I, you shouldn't be asking me to throw out all the four and five touchdown games that Tom Brady had early in the season because all his wins still count. All those wins still matter. And that part just seemed a bit ridiculous to me. Also, if you want to, if you want to just look at like the final month of the season, good luck finding a better final month than Joe Burrows. Sure. Uh, yeah. The back to back games. And he probably won the off the uh, offensive rookie of the year award for Jamar Chase. I mean, Chase, of course, won it, you know, on his own merits too. You know, I think of Brady, 
you know, as, as much as people say, oh, you know, he had Randy Moss and he had Rob Gronkowski, early in Brady's New England career, there was a lot of throwing to Troy Brown and Deion Branch and David yeah, Givens and Jermaine sure. Wiggins in the Super Bowl. And who does he beat the Jets with two weeks ago? The game where you know, the Antonio Brown game, right? He throws a touchdown pass to, to Cyril Grayson, you know, who right, nobody right. knows a thing about, a right? You probably ball. do. You're a big, you're a big track guy, so you, you probably have already had a podcast separate to talk about Cyril Grayson. But yeah, <laughs> wonderful, you know, uh, sideline pass, uh, you know, pylon pass to win the game against the scrappy Jets team. And, you know, Brady's had Gronkowski's missed a chunk of the season. Uh, Godwin's obviously out for the year now. They lost Fournette. Mike Evans has played through various injuries. They had the whole circus with Antonio Brown. If you had to pick a quarterback, I, I think Brady d- is probably a slightly preferred pick on my board. I just think Rodgers is going to win. Yeah. But I, Br- Brady would be a great pick. And to do it at age 45, not that that should be factored into it, but uh, that that's pretty ridiculous too. Um, one other thing about the NFL MVP versus other sports, like baseball, right? Otani was MVP. Bryce Harper was MVP. They didn't make the playoffs. The Angels weren't relevant as a team except for the Otani story, really. But the NFL, your success, and this is like, just part of what the NFL does, right? We care about quarterback wins. We care about Super Bowl rings and stuff like that. I mean, your your success is so tied into your legacy. And that that's why a guy like Jonathan Taylor would, would never win it. And I said, look, I'm, I'm going to pick Cup anyway for Offensive Player of the Year. But, you know, when you don't make the playoffs, they're going to hold it against you in voting, you know, rightly or wrongly with these types of awards. You're, you're so right, by the way, about um, Offensive Player of the Year, which is really just a consolation prize. I mean, there's one centerpiece award in the NFL, so it's not like it's not like it's on equal footing with the MVP. I mean, uh, Offensive Player of the Year is like a is almost like a thanks for playing. Right. And, you know, sometimes there'll be a quarterback who wins MVP who would easily be the Offensive Player of the Year, but he won't win it. They'll give it to somebody yeah. else anyway. Yeah. Right. Which just just shows you that that's what the ethos of that award is. It's just like, okay, this is something different. You can't win. Hey, MVP, you're not eligible for this one. I assume that if you would vote Cooper Cup for your regular season real life MVP, that you would also vote him for your fantasy MVP. Um, and I'm I'm like as great as Jonathan Taylor was at a key spot. I'm I'm definitely in the same I'm in the same boat there with you. Uh, just a couple numbers on Cooper Cup through through week seventeen. He was over 80 points ahead of the number two wide receiver in PPR formats. That guy was Devontae Adams. And he was over 100 fantasy points clear of everyone else. Like, that is ridiculous positional dominance. Um, Jonathan Taylor, great as he was, wasn't quite there. Uh, Cup finished the season 331 yards ahead of the second leading receiver, 22 receptions ahead of the number two guy. Like, the... The margin between him and anybody else in any relevant category was just was just stunning. Most consistent, consistently dominant player. Uh, he would be my fantasy MVP. Taylor second. I also want to give a shout out to Mark Andrews, who finished as the number yeah. one tight end and wins an award that I want to. Uh, it's not on the rundown, but um, the I don't care who's throwing the ball to me award, which I'm going to give to Mark Andrews and um, the Sun God in Detroit. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say honorable mention to Amon Ross A. Brown. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you could thrive, Baltimore had three different quarterbacks. Okay, um, Lamar Jackson had a myriad of injuries, was largely unavailable for the final third of the season, and Mark Andrews just kept trucking along. At one point, they had to play a third string quarterback who wasn't even with the team a few weeks ago. Mark Andrews had another monster game. 
And, and by the way, go look at what Marquise Brown did the last nine weeks. I'll, I'll tell you what, nothing, no touchdowns. He didn't have a game, I think, over 55 yards, just a bunch of short passes. So, you know, Hollywood Brown basically went couple, off the map. A couple killer drops. Uh, yeah. in we expect that. Too. Even in his good game, even in his good games, you expect a killer drop from, from Hollywood Brown. But he was having a bust-out season. He was one of fantasy's right answers around Halloween. And then he just went belly up with the backup quarterbacks. Part of that's on Brown. Maybe Brown was, you know, playing through injuries too. I think he was on the injury report off and on the final few weeks. So I, I don't want to be too hard on him. But Mark Andrews found a way to do it with everybody and finished number one at tight. We know tight end's not a deep position, but the top of the position has Kelsey. It has George Kittle. Gronkowski had a good season when he was on the field. Um, Kyle Pitts didn't score touchdowns, but he, you know, he put up a, a bunch of yards. The top of the position always has high talent. He finishes the number one tight end. If you dislodge Travis Kelsey, you've done something impressive. So yeah. uh, that to me is the golden trinity. Uh, the right answers this year where if, if you had two of these guys, if you somehow had t- Cup, Taylor, or Andrews, you had a, a, two of them, you were like a cinch to win your league. You had three of them. Everybody <laughs> hates you. You know, our, our friend Mark Stopa said to me, he said, oh, I, I want a points league that I run, um, the Chuck Muncie League. Uh, my team is Ghost of the Post, which is a nod to one of those great Raider teams from a million <laughs> years ago. And he said, oh, great, great job with the with the win. He goes, you know, it's hard to beat a team with Cooper Cup. And I wanted to say to him, I haven't texted Stopa back yet, but I'm like, I beat you by 206 points. I mean, <laughs> Co- Co- Cooper Cup could have been a lot of people. And I'm still, I still would have, you know, he, he could have been maybe Tyler Boyd or somebody. And I still would have been all right, but um, yeah, so I eked, I eked out a 206-point win over third-place Stopa. <laughs> Congratulations, team. You know, Mark didn't go for 400 in the final week. That would have been a, a kind of a gut punch. But the, the thing with Cup, though, the consistency, he never had bad games. It was, the worst game was like 65 yards, and it seemed like every week, 100 yards and a touchdown. He got to the point with DFS that you were petrified not to play him because you didn't want to concede the, the 165 and two touchdowns and nine catches right. to at, your opponents. Yeah, we got to like 40 $41 in our DFS game and it did like it didn't matter. You were still terrified not to not to build your roster around him. Robert Woods got hurt, didn't matter. The running backs yeah. were, were shuffling in and and he did it in a year where Matthew Stafford had a lot of uneven games. Matthew Stafford played very poorly at several moments in the second half of the year. So it wasn't like a lot of times when we think of the great receiver seasons it's like well yeah yeah rice was great but he had young he had montana he had bill walsh you know uh, with all due respect to sean mcveigh who's wonderful and and he does all those route combinations to scheme cooper cup open this was not a great matthew stafford year he went from being an mvp contention to you know he he did the basically the david caruso after he left nypd blue for the second (laughs) half of the year so so cup did it in a year where his quarterback wasn't even playing well at for many you know uh, Stafford gave away that Tennessee game. He threw a bunch of pick sixes and, you know, maybe playing hurt, but it's, it's such a good point. When you think about the real life MVP award, I was, I was considering this, like it, not only is it not open to running backs and wide receivers really, but e- even in a year, like, you know, with the exception perhaps of a year like this one, where Matt Stafford literally had to lead the league in interceptions or tie for the league lead in interceptions in order to not be an MVP candidate himself in almost any other year where a wide receiver forces their way into the conversation, his own quarterback is is probably going to win the award if he's so great, right? Like this was the rare situation where Stafford, not really a candidate beyond the first half of the season, but, but, Cooper Cup just kept going. Let's uh that's by the way, that's why Rice, that's why Rice had such a good path to win in 87. Yes. Because Montana and Young, I believe, both played that year. So he wasn't gonna get eclipsed by his quarterback as a as a candidate. 
Um, but unfortunately, again, and I loved Elway. I really, and you, and you had to see, you, I know people who didn't see Elway will look at a lot of the stats and be like, oh, this guy wasn't that great. You really had to see it. You had to be there that's, for him. That's that's the same way that you can't, like, you can't explain great quarterbacks from the 1970s to anybody, right? Because they can't visualize what the rules were then versus what the rules were now, all that you could get away with downfield. Now we sound like a couple of old men talking, but you're right. You, there's There's no, like, it's not even... It's not even reasonable to compare quarterback stats era to era, especially if you're doing it to like a 20, you have 30 year old. To, it, thankfully, fo- pro football reference has all these era adjusted stats. So that's what you have yeah. to do when you look at like seven. You have to put up the players in their era, just like for baseball, you might use OPS plus or something like that. So you understand like, OK, 1965, nobody could hit and in 1999. Everybody <laughs> could hit, you know, and that's why you know, Pedro, what Pedro Martinez did in 1999. There's another guy who got robbed of an MVP that uh, that should have won. But. Anyway, a lot of talk about MVPs. Yeah, let's let's jump to a handful of other awards. Can I can I interest you in a case for anyone other than Jamar Chase as the uh, fantasy rookie of the year, or is that just a you know? There's only one one name near the top of your ballot. No, nah, it's it's Chase. I I don't even know who would be second. Ugh, um, I okay. Well, I think I could. All right. First of all, I would I would give it to Chase as well. Um, I think it's pre- pretty clearly Chase. He was dominant, especially in the most important week of the year in title week. Um, I would just say that Najee Harris gave us a, a pretty underappreciated season um, overall. He was uh, fourth in the NFL in scrimmage yards with over 1,600. He finished with 10 touchdowns. Led all running backs in receptions, which I got to say I did not see coming at the start of the year. Finishes with 74 catches. Not that it matters for fantasy purposes either, by the way, but he led, you know, it, and these are sort of the secondary stats that don't really play into our game necessarily, but except as as a way of projecting players, he he led the league in missed tackles by a ton, by a lot, um, finished with 91. And that is, you know, if you, you, you know, you go to PFF or whoever tracks your missed tackles for you and you combine the missed tackles that he forced on both rush attempts and receptions, it's not even close. Like he's well ahead of Taylor. He's well ahead of Javante Williams, all the other people that we loved this season. Turns out it was actually Najee Harris. But it's easy to get hung up on yards per carry and and not recognize the fact that he was, man, that that kid was facing heat like behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage on virtually every carry. He got so many of those yards on his own. Um, he's he's probably my runner up for this award, but it's close. I think he at least belongs in the in the same tier as Chase. Yeah, that, that's the right pick. Yeah, there's been a joke going around that. Maybe secretly the Steelers wanted a tie Sunday night because then they wouldn't have to be in the playoffs. And then Roethlisberger's final moment could be an overtime win over Baltimore. <laughs> you know, Baltimore and Pittsburgh has had, had rock fights for like 20 years. I mean, it's a really good rivalry. It's not always the most pleasing game to watch, but th- those teams don't like each other and they beat the snot out of each other. And so maybe Roethlisberger could have gone out gallantly in his weekend at Bernie season. Instead, he's going to play the Chiefs. And I, I I think Roethlisberger's last game is destined to be like a Dan Marino last game where they, they get crushed and, and you try not to remember that the great player, Roethlisberger's a Hall of Famer. I don't think anybody's going to dispute that, that he's going to go out in some ugly way where maybe he would have preferred to go out you know, with with the win over the over the Ravens, and then and think, oh well, man, we could have made a deep run if we if not for that tie. But I don't think anybody thinks Pittsburgh's going anywhere. But you're right, Harris is the second choice. He's a it's a Chase Award, but Harris certainly was um, in a year where running backs didn't do well. And I'm trying every year. I'm trying to go a little bit younger and a little bit younger at running back. And you know, Harris was one of the few right answers in the second round this year or third round this year at running back, where a lot of the guys you could have picked end up being total bricks. 
who is your who is your fantasy bust of the year? I'm going to give it to a whole team. I'm going to give it to the New York Giants. <laughs> Um, because if you drafted Barkley, uh, you, you hate yourself. And, and if you drafted Galladay, I, I believe didn't score a touchdown this year. And then, you know, for a minute, Tony had relevance and then that faded away. And Evan Ingram has just been, you know, a mess. And, you know, Daniel Jones, I, I know there was one week we said, pick up Daniel Jones, stream Daniel Jones, DFS Daniel Jones. That, that never works out. Um, to the point, this is a team that decided to basically give up on second and third down in their season finale. And I, and I just, I'm killing, my, I'm kicking myself for not betting under on the Giants team total for like the last two months of the season because, I mean, they were, they were just seven points every week, three, seven, six. And uh, the defense wasn't that bad. But um, any offensive Giant you picked, with Bark, Barkley specifically, because he was a first-round pick, maybe early second-round pick in any league. And um, not, only, not only did he have a bad season, but he basically played most of the time and had a bad season. You know, and you could argue that Devontae Booker was his team's best offensive player. So, yeah, congratulations, New York Giants. You're my uh, you're my bust of the year. I love it. That might be the right call. I'm going to go officially with Allen Robinson. I think um, Allen Robinson was a guy who did miss some games, but he played 12, didn't reach 70 receiving yards in any game. Uh, obviously it was a, mid- a miserable quarterback situation, but it's not like he hasn't seen, he's seen nothing but miserable quarterback situations in his NFL career finishes with just over 400 receiving yards with, which ain't paying the fantasy bills. One touchdown. Um, he presumably, uh, is headed to another team. I mean, I still think he's every bit as talented as, as the Allen Robinson of old. Um, the, the other reason that he, uh, it, I I think is such a bust this year is that like where you drafted him, whether it was round, maybe it was late round three, maybe it was round four. uh, There's a pretty good chance you took him ahead of Cooper cup, right? There's a pretty good chance that you took him ahead of one of the definitive right answers. uh, Maybe Mark Andrews 2021 season. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. You took him ahead of Mark Andrews. You probably, in fact, it's probably drafts where you can look back right now and it goes like Robinson cup, Andrews, Robert Woods, whatever, right? Like there's, I mean, the guys that you took him ahead of and I, I did it in a handful. I feel like I had a lot of cup, but I'm sure there were also a handful of leagues where I took uh, Alan Robinson ahead of him. Yeah, it. Robinson's a good pick here too. And, and it's funny, just one other uh, thing to mention about cup. Isn't it funny how cup and Woods, Woods had the slightly pricier ADP, cup was the right answer. And then I the, I have to mention at some point in the show, Debo Samuel, who if, if I, we talked yeah. about league winning picks, right? And, you know, Taylor and, and Cop and Andrews, and, and the, I guess the fourth person, if we made it a Mount Rushmore, would probably be Debo Samuel, who Fantasy Twitter had concluded this summer that Brandon Ayuk was the special talent in this offense. And yeah, Debo Samuel's pretty good. He's coming off an injury. You know, he'll be the third option in this offense. And uh, what they did with Debo Samuel, you know, and we'll talk a little bit probably about Corderell Patterson in a minute, but you know, becoming this hybrid player, getting all these running touchdowns, you know, all the jet, not just jet sweep action, action, being lined up as a running back and all the stuff that they did in a year where Kittle missed time in a year where the quarterback situation was fluctuating back and forth. And there was debate of are the Niners playing the right quarterback. Are they doing the right thing for the future? Are they doing the right thing for the present? The one thing you could set your watch on with the 49ers this year was Debo Samuel. He had a fantastic season and just fun to watch. Just, I, I and, uh, you know, I guess Debo was going to come up a little bit later when we talk about Nikhil Harry Award. But, man, you watch that guy and you think, I wish he was on my team. That's how I feel right. every time I watch Debo Samuel. 
Give me, since you mentioned uh, Cordero Patterson, give me your waiver ad of the year. And um, I will I will say in advance that I feel like a couple of guys surged so much during the fantasy playoffs that we have to divide this between the regular season and the fantasy playoffs. So give me your regular season waiver ad of the year. For me, I think there's two candidates. I think it's Patterson and I think it's Elijah Mitchell. Um, maybe you've got a third. Yeah, I, I, Mitchell would be my pick. Um, unfortunately, he missed a few too many games than we would have liked, but that's just part of what you get at running back. Like I, I always laugh when somebody says, oh, I would take this running back if I knew they were going to play a full season. You can't project anybody <laughs> to play a full season. It, just, it doesn't make yeah. sense. It's like, oh, I'd take the starting pitcher if he throw 250 innings. Nobody's going to do that. But Mitchell, we always, for all the junk that Kyle Shanahan has to deal with, oh, Shanahanigans, and you don't know who he's going to play. When he realized Elijah Mitchell could play, he said, here are the keys to the car. We're not messing around with other. Yeah, of course, Debo Samuel did get some work too, but no, no more Jeff Wilson, no more of, of any of their other backs. And they always have four or five backs of interest. At Jamichael Hasty, no, he, you know, here's your one touch. But it's the Elijah Mitchell show. And in, in a, on a team that wants to have a power running game, Trent Williams, their offensive lineman, had a great year. One of the PFF guys thinks he should be Offensive Player of the Year. I, you know, I, I don't know, Andy, if someday you'll have to explain to your grandchildren the year Trent Williams had in 2021. <laughs> But I guess you could get that story ready, according to, to some of the PFF guys. I also want to know how Sam Darnold was their top-rated quarterback one week. That would be my kind of sign that you need to blow up part of your computer program. But that's just, <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't know. Maybe it's something I missed with Sam Darnold. But um, we get, we get, bust, man, bust of the year. I, everything, I want to rip everything I wrote about the Carolina Panthers. Maybe Sam Darnold can be fixed. Yeah, I, I want DJ Moore. Yeah, I want Robbie Anderson. He's got already got some chemistry with Darnold. No, 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 no. And I don't. I don't know how much of the of the Panthers Bucks game you watched on Sunday, but Romo was really into Darnold. He loved him before the draft. He was he was adamant that he he was the right pick for the Jets. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he hasn't quit him. I can tell you, he hasn't that. quit him. Uh, Elijah Mitchell's my pick. Uh, shout out to Patterson, who's played for like twenty nine different teams, approximately, including like C- three CFL teams, two European football teams, and. Uh, Man, so they unlocked they unlocked a Patterson that the Vikings didn't unlock, that the Bears didn't unlock, that the Patriots didn't unlock. I mean, this guy's been well-traveled. I know he didn't finish the year that well, and there were some broken elements to the Falcons' offense. A team that couldn't get Julio Jones in the end zone, then, you know, decided they couldn't get Kyle Pitts in the end zone either. I don't really understand that, but uh, Patterson was great. I have no problem if anybody would vote Patterson, and uh, I know we're going to talk some St. Brown in a minute, but Elijah Mitchell, if we're focusing on the regular season, put me down for Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, I I probably give the nod to Patterson only because I had a little bit more. Pat- In fact, I had con- I had considerably more Patterson. Um, he finished the season as the RB nine and the wide receiver eleven in uh, Yahoo default scoring, which I just find to be a joy. Uh, obviously, he didn't finish the season particularly strong, and he wasn't great in the fantasy playoffs. I I have to think that the the ankle injury was a bit more serious than uh, than the team ever let on because uh, the workloads obviously diminished late in the year. But um, he just like this is ninth year and he destroyed his career highs in scrimmage yards in touchdown. I mean, the guy finishes the season with 11 touchdowns over 1100 scrimmage yards. Just a wild year, and I'm sure it's not going to be repeated. Um, and I, I actually think that the the slow finish to his season um, basically means even if he even if he lands with Atlanta again next year, I don't think anybody's going to be doing anything too crazy with him uh, draft wise. It's not like we're going to rank this guy as a fourth rounder, or fifth rounder, or anything like that. It was just a just a wild one off season that I, f- I feel like we're going to look back in ten or twelve years and we'll be like, 
wow, that really happened. That like that one little blip season really happened for Cordero Patterson. It was it yeah, was it will a be stunner. like a Peyton Hillis season, like a Brady yes. that Brady Anderson fifty home run season, the Steve Stone twenty five win season. Dating myself a little bit here, and you, know, <laughs> I, I know what's going to happen with the Patterson draft ADP. This it, going to be like regression alert. You can't draft Cordero Patterson. He's going to crater. And the whole world's going to basically shrug at Corderell Patterson. And then somebody's going to say, hey, I can take him in the seventh or eighth round. I should do that, right? You're going to get a great price on him. I still think he might disappoint you. I'm going to be very much non-proactive when it comes to Patterson. But he's going to be on everybody's bust regression. Don't don't be the guy gonna, who drafts It's going to be him. like the, the Eric Ebron year, right? Where obviously Eric Ebron is not going to turn every other catch into a touchdown for the rest of time. So, of course, he's going to regress. Um, but then like, there's always a right price with those guys. Mm -hmm. Exactly. When when people, I always say, you can't just say regression and drop the mic and leave the room. It has to be regression to what does he regress to still a fantasy worthy commodity in a digit round, or is he somebody that the price would have to just be ridiculous before you act? Uh, So I I just don't, don't let your, your favorite fantasy analyst get, get away with saying regression and just, you know, cutting off the conversation there. Regression should start the conversation. It should never end it. Yeah. All right, let's let's talk about the uh, let's let's talk about the I don't I don't know if I should call this the the waiver out of the year for the fantasy playoffs or if I should just call this the fantasy playoff MVP. Um, I feel like there are two strong candidates that were almost surely added at some point during the season from waivers, and they are Rashad Penny and Amon Ross St. Brown. And I can't I don't even I don't even know who to pick here, so I'm gonna let you go first. Yeah. I... I'm fine with either one of them. Um, they they were both basically league winning plays for the last three weeks of the season, and a really good year. If if you scrimped on running back, all you had to do in the playoffs is if you came up with a penny, you came up with a, a Singletary at the right time where he's been more involved yeah. in Buffalo the last week or so. Those types of plays. I feel bad because a lot of people ask me St. Brown questions in Week 17, and the only reason he was still a start sick question was because Jared Goff wasn't playing and because Tim Boyle. I mean, one touchdown, 13 interceptions in college. I mean, Tim Boyle is, you know, wise even in the NFL. And I didn't universally rubber stamp St. Brown to play in week 17 for people. And then he still had a monster game anyway. Uh, They got him involved in the running game. They got him involved in sweeps. He's always open. And he did it where their running backs got hurt. Uh, They did have a moment where Craig Reynolds was effective. I mean, the way the Lions played, the fact that they covered 11 out of 17 games for for Dan Campbell, even though they only won three and a half games, that's something to be said for that. But it got to the point where St. Brown was the only person that Lion Lion opponents had to worry about because Hawkinson was hurt and DeAndre Swift had a lost season. Jamal Williams missed some time and the backup quarterbacks playing and – you know, basically your game plan should have been, okay, they have one dynamic receiver. Let's try to erase that guy. Nobody did it. He was fantastic his final six games. I think he may have played himself at least into the fourth round next year, maybe even the third round next year. And if Jared Goff can be a competent quarterback, if they can get a healthy Swift, a healthy Hawkinson, this could be a fun offense. Their offensive coordinator position is open. The Anthony Lynn's not coming back, and he actually lost the play sheet a few weeks ago anyway. But I'm curious to see what who comes in and who's the next mastermind of the Lions because there could be a fun offense here. Campbell's a good coach, and I, I think he hits the right emotional keys, but uh, there's some potential with this offense. I'm going to lean towards St. Brown just because, you know, I, I'm in Michigan. It's been a fun story. 
Um, he even got to show off in front of his dad and in front of yeah. Equanimous St. Brown. I want to, are there more St. Browns or what are they named? I, I need to know the whole, <laughs> I, I need a reality show with the St. Brown family, but um, it's just cool to see Detroit have some hope. They're, they've been a tortured fan base for a long time. That place was rocking yesterday. Yeah, they, they beat a Green Bay team that checked out at halftime. I get it. You know, Jordan Love is kind of a drop down from Aaron Rodgers last I checked, but it's just cool to see Detroit have some hope and uh, to find it in a fourth round receiver. That That's something. Yeah, no, super impressive. Uh, makes you makes you wonder a bit why the USC team with Pittman and St. Brown didn't perhaps win a few more games. How did they? How did they end up in like where, where did Iowa play in the Holiday Bowl? Um, curious. St. Brown missed some time with injuries. That's part why he went yeah. later in the draft than he probably should have. And, and by the way, they have another great receiver coming too. I uh, Michael Lazarus, who who does a lot of our DFS work, and just a great longtime Yahoo employee. We always talk about the great USC receivers. You know, Keyshawn Johnson and Robert Woods and Bob Woods, Michael yeah. Pittman, Mike Williams. I mean, just uh, they're a conveyor belt. In fact, St. Brown's always already saying, I forget the name of the receiver they have now. He's good, but St. Brown's like, hey, he'd be a good Detroit Lion next year. See USC on a on a, a player's uh, profile page. You should your ears should perk up. Yeah, so six straight games at the end of the season with double-digit targets for St. Brown. Six straight games with at least eight catches. I mean, man, and he and he got it done too when uh, when DeAndre Swift came back, right? So I don't I don't like as much as I like T.J. Hawkinson. It's not like I think T.J. Hawkinson is somebody who's gonna who's gonna severely block uh, Amon Ross St. Brown moving forward. I don't worry. Targets, him next targets are a receiver stat. Okay, Harmon yeah. would tell you this, right? There's a reason why Deontay Johnson walks off the bus and he's got 10 targets in his pocket, right? When you dominate market share, when you dominate target yeah. share, that's a, that's a statement about the receiver. That's a very good signal to buy. I will just say, in defense of Rashad Penny, um, it, it's it's one of the better stories I can remember. Um, and one of the more improbable, you know, it ties into the CPAT story in that way. Like, I... I I didn't see it coming. I will say that every place that I used a, a like a last round or second to last round pick on Rashad Penny, I, I'm sure I dropped him in all of them. Mm-hmm, um, of I reacquired him in one, but but who was gonna who was gonna hold on to him all year? Um, he, he finished with 671 rushing yards in his last five games. Um, that is 43 percent of his career total. He came into the league in 2018. Like. That is just wild to me. Uh, he rushed for 135, 170, and 190 over over his last three games with four touchdowns. So an incredible finish for him. Um, he doesn't have a team next year. The the Seahawks declined to pick up his fifth-year option, which I totally understand because he hadn't done anything at the point that they had to make the decision, right? Hadn't been healthy. And he's now he's now a free agent going into I mean, man, that the guy obviously made himself a little bit of money. He was fantastic uh, when he got in the open field. Nobody could catch him. Uh, I, I just loved it. I always joke about no team, no fantasy team dances like the recently eliminated. Oh. And I always say that after you get eliminated from the playoffs, you should load up that team and you're in a DFS lineup the next week. And the Seahawks really fit that profile right two weeks ago. DK Metcalf, who you know, absolutely torpedoed a bunch of fantasy teams, had a three touchdown game. And then shout out to our to Yahoo's Pam Maldonado, who was talking about some of the Tyler Lockett incentives. And Lockett was due for a big, uh, in fact, a couple of guys. Gronkowski was, was due for a million if he if he hit a certain couple of benchmarks. Brady made sure Brady insisted to stay in the game to get Gronkowski his million. Yeah. And Russell Wilson actually did bet a prop for Tyler Lockett to score once. I don't know why I didn't bet on the prop for him to score twice, which would have paid a lot better. 
But um, something I can do a better job with next year because, you know, quarterback, when there's a rapport between a veteran quarterback and one of his receivers and there's money at stake, it seems like they go out of their way to make sure those things happen. Lockett got in the end zone right away in that game. And Brady, again, stayed in the game to get Gronkowski paid. So uh, the, the the dance of the recently eliminated, the Seattle Seahawks, right? You couldn't trust Russell Wilson when you needed him, but he had a couple of really nice games at the end of the season. Metcalf came back to life two weeks ago. Lockett got that Maldonado cash in week 18. So uh, that was just some fun stories. I, I'm going to try harder to grind on some of those incentives. Not that they all come through. Our friend Kevin Kaduck does a great job with the Midway Men, and he said, look, the Bears want to get Mooney the 1,000 yards. You know, Mooney, Mooney's yeah. – over under was like 53 or 54. And if you wanted to juice it up in the seventies or eighties and get like, you know, plus two thirty, plus two forty, which Kevin was saying people should do in his newsletter, go read the midway minute. It's terrific. Um, that they were just handing away money. And that's with the Andy Dalton, the quarterback, you know, it's not like, not like he was living off Patrick Mahomes passes or Josh Allen passes or something. I mean, so <laughs> pay attention. There's there, there is money to be made. If you, if you look at some of these incentives and plateaus that teams are trying to hit, Mike Evans got to a thousand yards again. He's another guy. You could have made money on yesterday. I, I'm sure there are examples where it didn't hit, but it seems like these are usually good bets and the books have not been adjusting. Maybe next year the, the lines will be hammered out that there's no value. Maybe it's too late, but uh, it was a good uh, good market in week 18. All right. The award that people came for, um, the third annual Nikhil Harry Award. Give it to us. What is yeah. it? Who wins it? Well, it's, it's going to be the kind of the most underwhelming Nikhil Harry Award winner. This is This is the award that goes to the rookie <laughs> – the rookie skill player who's drafted and then it's immediately like, oh, my God, why did they take this guy when they could have had all these other great players? Um, Nikhil Harry won it in 2019 when the <laughs> Patriots could have had Debo Samuel or A.J. Brown or D.K. Metcalf or Terry McLaurin, who last I checked are all worlds better than Nikhil Harry. Last year, the Eagles took Jalen Rager, receiver. Talked themselves into, oh, well, maybe it wasn't his fault. He wasn't that great at TCU. And Minnesota said, okay, Justin Jefferson, who basically broke college football in the LSU video game, why, why don't we get you? And, you know, Justin Jefferson's basically broken the NFL. He's fantastic. There isn't a great pick this year. But I will say this. The Rams took a receiver named Tutu Atwell in the second round, 5'9", 165. Ooh. He only projected to be yeah. a specialty player. Didn't play a lot. He got hurt. He was put on IR in the middle of the season. Imagine the sun god. Okay, L.A. Rams, you should have been scouting these USC football games. You could have had the sun god on this offense, and instead you went with Tutu Atwell. So, it's, again, is, is it a Nikhil – the Nikhil Harry award is not going to be a Nikhil Harry gem every year. It's not going to be a Jalen Rager <laughs> gem every year. I don't have a great pick this year. Tutu Atwell, congratulations. Head on down. You know, Receive your envelope. Say thanks to a few people who made it possible. Um, instead of, instead of picking the sun God, um, you know, the Rams out and the Rams don't like the draft anyway, right? They're trying to trade away all their picks yeah. so they can play golf on draft day. But why, why did they take two, two Atwell in the second round? Oh, that is a great call. That is such a good call. Um, that is a good award too. That is Isn't a, it? that is an absolutely fine award. And what a nice honor for Nikhil Harry too, by the way, you, you love to see it. Um, the funny, the funny thing about Harry is the one thing the Patriots have found that he can do is block. He's actually a really good blocker, yeah. but you know, that, that, that's like saying, you know, well, our shortstop can't hit or can't field, but he's a good bunter, you know? It's like, <laughs> so what do you block? I mean, you know, there's nine other guys who are blocking too. I mean, whatever. I mean, I, I'll be happy when, uh, you know, can't we just have Debo Samuel? Can't we do that pick again? No team could screw up Debo Samuel. I know like people say things like, well, you know, if the Browns drafted Tom Brady, he wouldn't be Tom Brady. 
Debo Samuel is coach-proof, is scheme-proof. He would be great. on. I think the Giants could get Debo Samuel, and he'd be great. He is apparently position-proof. He's all kinds of things-proof, yeah. Yeah, he's all fun. Yeah, he's 100-proof. Man, Debo <laughs> Samuel. Why can't he be on my team, Andy? Before before we get out of here entirely, give me give me just a storyline or two or a player or two that, that you feel like were under-hyped throughout the season. You, to me... To me, the sneaky story of this year was that the quarterback play was inconsistent. You know, we talked about the Brady bagel against New Orleans. Mahomes didn't have one of his best seasons. You know, Josh Allen went to Jacksonville, and they they lost that game. I didn't think the consist the quarterback play had the consistency that it normally did. Where it, I feel like every week in most seasons, there's just you, you can stream the position easily. Your best quarterbacks are putting up big games. I feel like every great quarterback had more clunkers this year than normal. And I think that made offenses more inconsistent. That was kind of the overwhelming trend I saw in football this year. I wouldn't mind getting back to that thing where they don't call holding anymore. Um, that, <laughs> that, like however many weeks that lasted, that was awesome. Well, they do it in the playoffs, right? They seem to say, okay, if it's not egregious, I don't mind a holding penalty. I want to yeah. see, I want to see every holding penalty on replay and I want to see an absolute mugging. I want to see the Jersey being ripped off the guy. If it's not obvious, if it's not egregious, just just let it go. I mean, you, you look, you want yeah. to protect the quarterbacks, and I get it. But, um, you know, the best way to do it is to give the offensive linemen a little bit of leverage and give them the benefit of the belt. Let the tie go to the offensive linemen. If it's not – or, if, or right, if the play right. – another thing, too. If, if the infraction isn't egregious and it's nowhere near the action on the play, just let that go. It, it's so frustrating. You see a guy breaking off a long run, and then you see some flag ha- happy ref like, "Oh, okay, we, we got an illegal block over here." And it's not the, like any the block in the back that did not affect the the incredible play. The result of the incredible play is like the least, or, or put the thing. defender in danger. I get it if it's a cheap yeah. play. You know, you get to try to protect the you know everybody on the field. I get that, but no, they nobody wants to see that Raiders Cowboys game again. Whereas the the hockey league <laughs> 30, yes. 37 holds. That's that's not that's not good for football. I only asked this question actually because I wanted to shout out Antonio Gibson uh, and the and the work he did this year. That man played 16 games, uh, including about half the season, with a stress fracture in his leg. Played on a broken leg for part of the season, and um, if you haven't had it, like never let anyone tell you that he didn't feel that or that he could not have made it worse, because um, those things are not true. Like that is a hell of a thing to have played through. The guy also dealt with turf toe, had a hip injury, missed a game due to COVID protocols, um, still finished the season with over a thousand rushing yards in a year when almost no one did. Right. It was like a half dozen guys finished with over a thousand rushing yards, had 10 TDs. His team was bad. Fantasy managers were were pretty unhappy with him for much of the season. Um, I could not have more respect for what that guy just did because it like the last several weeks, what was he even playing for? Yeah, the toughness of NFL players is ridiculous. They they pay a price. They earn their money. I'm never unhappy when an NFL player holds out and you know, when they get paid. I'm, I'm glad to see it because they have yeah, the tiniest yeah. of windows. Also, RIP to the Washington football team name. They're going to have an actual nickname, apparently. Um, so if you want to stock up on football team gear, you may have to do it now uh, before. Not, not that you want to give that organization any money, but you know, maybe you can find a third a third party vendor or something like that. But um, <laughs> I enjoyed the football team. You know, as, as Salfino said, it's like the band, right? You know, the football team. It's, I thought that was yes. a good name. I would I would have been fine if they kept that in perpetuity. Yeah, I fully agree. Uh, fully agree. So shout out to him. Uh, really impressive season. That is all we have for you guys today. Uh, this podcast, by the way is going to go to a twice a week schedule through the Super Bowl, typically recording on Mondays and Thursdays. 
Uh, if you want to keep the conversation going on Twitter, we're happy to do that. Please make sure to follow me at Andy Barons. You, of course, want to follow him at Scott underscore Pianowski. While you're at it, go ahead and uh, double check that you're also following at Yahoo Fantasy. Matt and Dalton are going to be back later in the week with a preview of the wild card games. But until then, we are out.